Why would anyone want to make something the number one priority in their life that's only going to last as long as a career? My relationship with God is for eternity, so that has to be number one. My relationship with my wife, Karen, and our children, and now grandchildren, is going to last the rest of my life. That has to come ahead of anything that ends at the end of a career. Welcome to Cedarville Stories, a podcast sharing meaningful stories of people impacted by relationships and experiences at Cedarville University. Cedarville Stories is brought to you by Cedarville University, where student lives are transformed through excellent education and intentional discipleship in submission to biblical authority. Continue listening to hear the rest of today's story. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Joining me on the podcast is Lieutenant General Lauren Reno, Special Advisor to the President at Cedarville University and retired three-star general from the United States Air Force. Welcome to the podcast, General Reno. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. How does someone from such a small village rise to the rank of Lieutenant General in the United States Air Force? Certainly not through my own doing, but with the hand of the Lord on me. I, I grew up on these streets. I delivered papers all around town. I was a newspaper boy when I was young and played junior high and high school basketball. And I was just a small town boy, lived on a farm on the edge of town and learned to do chores and uh, learned more on the basketball court about life perhaps than I did in the classroom, uh, which then helped me and, and uh, stood well for me when I went into the Air Force. I, I didn't go into the Air Force as a general. I didn't go into the Air Force intending to be a general. I went to the Air Force in 1973 in response to uh, seeing the uh, POWs come back from Hanoi and at the end of the Vietnam War and wanting to serve my country and feeling led by the Lord to pursue it. And so I went to officer training and became a second lieutenant, just like all officers do when they start out their time in the Air Force. And uh, one assignment after another, the Lord's hand on me, uh, living for him openly. Uh, he just decided that he would prosper me with rank. He prospers other people in other ways. I know some great Air Force veterans who were not general officers. I know some general officers that weren't necessarily great men or women. So it's it's just all traced back to Cedarville, my days here in town, and to the Lord's hand being on me. So I'm curious, um, how difficult is it to be a believer sold out for Jesus and served your country in the military? I think the, uh, the important part of your question is the first part of it. How hard is it to be sold out, committed believer? Okay. Question mark. Mm -hmm. In the military, in business, in education, uh, in industry, uh, in whatever sector you choose, it's fill in the blank, but it's, I think it just depends, you know, does a person uh, want to live for the Lord or do they want to live for themselves? Do they live to please others or do they live for an audience of one? I remember, Mark, it was in 1977, before most people listening to this podcast were even born, <laughs> I was at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama, and I was at a three-month uh, squadron officer school learning some new leadership and uh, new responsibilities for a, for a different level in the Air Force. And I remember the blue auditorium, blue painted walls, many seats, I don't know, hundreds, 
uh, after everyone left, I decided that day in that place that God, my relationship with God was going to be the number one priority in my life. And my relationship with my family was going to be the number two priority in my life. And my relationship to my country was going to be the number three priority in my life. So that's not earth shattering. Why would anyone want to make something the number one priority in their life that's only going to last as long as a career? My relationship with God is for eternity. So that has to be one, number one. My relationship with my wife, Karen, and our children, and now grandchildren, is going to last the rest of my life. That has to come ahead of anything that ends at the end of a career. So it, it seemed intuitive to me, but it was also a point in time when I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so from then on, for the most part, I lived to please God and not man. That's biblically consistent. Uh, it's the way I want to live. It allows him to put his hand on me, uh, to prosper me or not, or to prosper others, to let me serve and learn to serve well. That's, that's where it all started. It also seems like knowing you a little bit from spending some time last school year in, in class with you, that your mom also had a big influence on your life. And in, ultimately, in that decision, um, I remember you talking about her love of Scripture and Scripture memory. Talk about that impact that she had on your life and how that transferred into your military life and who you are today. Mark, my mother uh, went to heaven after my freshman year at Cedarville College mm. back in the day. And so I was a 19-year-old boy, one of five sons, no sisters. And the woman in my life was gone. And so I have a small database to choose from only my first 19 years. But those were significant. Uh, I remember plunking away in a very amateurish manner on my banjo, <laughs> uh, her favorite song by her bedside in her last year or two. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul, the old John W. Peterson mm -hmm. song. I remember uh, learning verses and putting stickers on papers when I would say them right as a schoolboy. I remember watching her cook for a Christian camp in Massachusetts during the summertime because she was a school teacher and she went and served there all summer. I remember my high, my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, I would come home from a basketball game, home or away, because she was bedridden. and She wasn't able to go, but she would listen to them on the radio mm. and she would keep score. She would, when I would get home, she would tell me how many points I had, how many points Jim Jeremiah had, how many points Bruce McDonald had, how many Al Knott had, these names that Cedarville uh, athletic affectionados recall very well. Sure. She just kept track of the whole game, and she was there even though she couldn't be there. And then she would talk to me about the game and, and just spend time with me. So uh, she taught me scripture. She would reward me. She modeled scripture. She would use scripture in her conversations. And I just thought that's a terrific way to live. Can you recall a time in your 38-year military career where scripture came to life in a situation? Can you recall a story where it, it really impacted you and helped you in a maybe a tough situation? It was in 1977 when I decided what my priorities were really going to be. They weren't going to be my dad's or Cedarville's. 
I decided for myself what they were going to be. It was some years after that that I encountered uh, Micah 6 8, mm-hmm. which has become my life verse. And uh, many are the times as a commander when I would ask myself before making an important decision or a decision that related to the welfare of my people, I would recite Micah 6 8, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But one, to do justly, two, and to love mercy, three, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's not do justly or love mercy. It's not a trade-off. They're not on a continuum. It's to do justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So how can I do justly, preserve good order and discipline for the unit, and love mercy, let them off or reduce the punishment or uh, the, the consequences of their actions? How can you do both of those? Because you also are walking humbly with your God. So many times when I was faced with personnel actions or other important decisions, I would hearken back to Micah 6 8. It leads me to a question. In, in society, there are hundreds of books on leadership. Leadership is a passion for your, you because of Christ setting the example. But you wrote a book. You wrote um, 10 Leadership Maneuvers, A General's Guide to Serving and Leading. With all those hundreds of books, what motivated you to write another book on leadership? I deal with that in the introduction to the book. And for years, I had no intention or idea of writing a book. The more senior I got in the Air Force, the more people that I talked to about leadership said, you need to write this down. And so I developed a list of 10 leadership traits that I thought were important. And then for each one, I would tell a few war stories along with that leadership trait, show where when it had been practiced by someone, it really worked out well. And when it had been ignored by someone, it didn't work out so well. Uh, They really liked the stories. And some young officers that I was mentoring at one point in my career, they began to call it Reno's Rules. (laughs) And so they would look for ways to apply those. In fact, just this morning I got a text from one of those young captains that was in the group that called it Reno's Rules. He's now a colonel in the Air Force. So that's that's how it kind of started. And then people started saying, you got to write this down because not everyone can hear you speak. And and I'm not a great speaker, but I just talk from my heart and would tell the stories, which they liked and they'd remember. So uh, finally, when I got out of the Air Force, I decided I would take a shot at writing it down. And then I also linked Bible verses to each of those traits because, back to your earlier point, biblically consistent, if I am ever leading in a way that's not consistent with scriptures, I hope somebody will call me out. Say, that's wrong. That's self-centered. That's not serving. That's not integrity. That's whatever. That's not consistent with scriptures. And here are some examples of why it's not consistent. I need to run in the opposite direction. And so I wanted to make sure that each of those principles was grounded in Scripture. And that's how 10 Leadership Maneuvers came to be. Do you recall a situation in the military where communication failed? There are a lot of different aspects of communication. I remember once when I was a first lieutenant and I was newly wed. I had been married for less than a month. I took my wife with me to the Philippines where I was stationed. And 
the first time that I got to fly, we were going to fly an airdrop mission. Right. And the drop zone was on the base, in a corner of the base. And so I told my wife where the drop was going to be and uh, at what time and where she could drive the car to go and watch nine C-130 aircraft slow to 125 knots, open the ramp and door in the back, and throw out large, heavy equipment loads under two huge billowing parachutes and all land on the drop zone. So I told her about that, and um, she was out there. Well, a lot of things happened, and it, it turned out that uh, we were leading the formation, uh, and there were seven aircraft behind us. I thought I was going to be the number two aircraft, um, so we're coming down to make the run. We slow down to 125 knots. We open the ramp and door. We do all the warnings. We throw out the heavy equipment load. And my load landed way off the drop zone in the boondocks, in the jungle, and it was unrecoverable. And all the rest of them <clears throat> went down the other side of the drop zone, read the winds correctly, and dropped where they should. The reason my load was way off the drop zone was because I was thinking about my wife and thinking about my mm. checklist and I inverted the wind. The wind was blowing strong from left to right. I thought since the smoke showed it was left to right, I thought if I got way over on the right and called the green light drop signal that the parachute would just go down the smoke and land on the desired point. I just had it backwards. The pilot tried to talk me out of it. The co-pilot tried to talk me out of it. The flight engineer on the flight deck tried to talk me out of it. I shouted them all down, and the load landed in the jungle. So an important part of communication is not just what one says or what one transmits or what one sends. An important part of communication is listening and hearing and considering what someone else says. It's benefiting from the counsel of advisors. So one of the 10 leadership maneuvers in the book you mentioned is leaders are readers. And I think being a reader is analogous to being a listener because it, it shows that you're humble enough to learn. It lets you learn from the experience of others. It lets you contemplate what others have done well or haven't done well and to apply it to your own decision-making process. That sounds a lot like listening, but it's reading. And I think good leaders are good readers, and it is part of listening. Thanks for sharing that. I want to transition um, a little bit away from your military career and and spend a few minutes on Cedarville University. So in your current role, you know, you're advising the president, which is a very important role because he needs he needs good counselors around him. With that as a backdrop, what truly excites you about where we are as a university uh, at this point? First, I would tell you, Doctor, we are blessed to have Dr. White as our president. He is wise beyond, beyond his years. He seeks counsel. He heeds counsel. He is faithful in walking with the Lord. Uh, we are really blessed to have a leader like him, and it's a privilege for me to, to be able to serve him. Uh, Cedarville, is, I think, has, is on a 12-year run of increased enrollments every year. And we, have, we are outgrowing in some places our facilities, and other places we have outgrown them. And we have to do something about it. And so Dr. White led a campus master plan where 
He listened to staff. He listened to faculty. He listened to students. He listened to administration and trustees. And and with a lot of help, developed a campus master plan, which now has led into a capital campaign to build new, in some cases, like dorm. Uh, We are building a 282-person dorm because the record enrollments in the last few years has taken us beyond capacity to house people on campus when a residence life campus experience is so important to our students and for who Cedarville is. We're not a commuter campus. Now, we have commuters that come to Cedarville, but the heart of what we do happens in the dorm. It happens in the units. It happens with the residence advisors, certainly with the faculty members in classrooms, but we need a place to house them, so we're building a 282-person dorm. We have been able to start a civil engineering program. We got more than twice as many in year one as we thought we would have. And and here comes year two. And so we have we are starting now to build a civil engineering building to handle that. The Callan Athletic Center has served us well since our days as an NAIA school. That was years ago and hundreds of students ago. And now we're in a different place. And so renovating and improving that is important. Pushing out the back walls in the chapel to seat more students in our daily chapel programs, important. So taking two classrooms, pushing those walls out, adds 320 new seats for students to sit in chapel. Uh, We talk about a Chick-fil-A dining Mm -hmm. commons, uh, very popular with the students faculty, and even old guys like me. I like Chick-fil-A too. Uh, But we need to do things to help with the crowding in our dining facilities. So um, our business program, uh, especially since I left the uh, School of Business, has continued to grow. We need a a different business building. uh, Where they are now used to be a library. Mm. It was repurposed into a business building. And, and so we need a new business building. We are a Christian liberal arts college, university. And so there's no place that says liberal arts like a new liberal arts building would. And so a welcome center and liberal arts building is where we're headed. So a lot of changes like that that we really need to do. And Dr. White has led us well and wisely in developing a plan and moving down that path. Obviously, the Lord's blessing Cedarville University. Yes, sir. Clearly. Clearly. Why do you think he's blessing Cedarville? Who knows the mind of the Lord? Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, uh, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And so stewards don't always know the plan of the master. Right. The big grandiose plan, where the master went on a business trip and who he met with there and where his investments are. The steward just takes care of business where he is or where she is. And so at Cedarville, this corner of God's kingdom, this is Lauren Reno's opinion, okay? Dr. White and others might have different views, but in my opinion, We're at Cedarville University. This is a corner of God's kingdom. This is where he led me very clearly. This is where he led me. This is where I am to steward all the experiences that I have had in the Air Force and out. 
This is where I can share with students the blessings of the Lord, his hand on me, the success that he has given. This is where I'm called. This is where I need to be faithful. I'm a steward of all that he's given me. I need to be faithful right here at Cedarville. So why might the Lord be blessing Cedarville? It might be because we stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's not very grandiose in the thinking of some, but that's who we are here at Cedarville. It is all about the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I read in the Old Testament that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the earth looking for someone he can bless. I don't know the mind of the Lord, but I believe that he's blessing us because we're standing for him. Yeah. Without compromise, Mark. And as long as Dr. White's the president, as long as I'm here, that's what we're going to do. I have two questions remaining in our time together. Uh, one, going back to to athletics. Okay, so from all the research I've done to prepare for today, um, one point that comes clear is General Lauren Reno is the hardest worker that I've ever seen, is what one one coach said. One basketball coach said, who, who you've already alluded to, uh, Dr. Don Callen, why did you have such a strong work ethic? And why did you work so hard? Because um, I, I also was told that you're quoted as saying, no one's going to outwork me. Uh, Mark, Dr. Callen, Don Callen is just a wonderful man of God. Um, his memory must be failing. <laughs> he thinks I'm the hardest worker. But I... I didn't have as much talent as a lot of the other guys. I really didn't. And so if I wanted to play, I knew I was going to have to work hard. I was going to have to outwork other people. So I figured if I, if I dove for every loose ball and could only get or save 20% of them, at least that's two out of 10 possessions that we could have that we weren't going to have. Right. Uh, so I could guard the guys on the other team and, um, I was pretty brutal on my own players during practice <laughs> because I like to guard close and carefully. Um, but I could work hard. Uh, talent, uh, I just didn't have the talent that some of the other players did, but I could sure work hard. My final question, uh, what is your favorite memory or your most memorable event from your time at Cedarville University? If I think back to my days as a student, it's been a lot of years. I graduated in 1970. And so I just don't remember the bad memories that might have been there years ago. I have many, many, many good memories. And I think the, the most memorable time for me as a student was on commencement day. It was on a Saturday, and the commencement service was held here in Tyler, the building where we're sitting now. And uh, what our classrooms now used to be a gymnasium. That's where commencement was. And so just minutes after I walked across the stage to receive my diploma, uh, and while all of my classmates were out in the yard out front in their caps and gowns talking to family and friends and well-wishers, I was in a car headed to Vandalia Airport at Dayton International Airport and uh, mm. flew to Texas for a couple of days and then to Central and South America for eight weeks on uh, basketball ministry. For the summer. It was with Overseas Crusade, 
I was the only Cedarville student involved. And the year after that, Coach Don Callen uh, started the Missionary Internship Service, which is now the uh, Global Outreach Program. And so the memory just sticks in my mind of walking across the stage, getting my diploma, and doffing my cap and gown pretty quickly and taking a ride to the airport and launching into uh, where the Lord called me to serve. And I think that's, that's my vision for all of our students at Cedarville. Take the ceremony that's um, due, but move on quickly to where the Lord is calling and using you. And, and that was a, just a great memory for me. Thanks for sharing. And I, I want to thank you also, General Reno, for, for joining me today. Thanks uh, for sharing your story with our listeners. And I salute you for your leadership. And thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories, brought to you by Cedarville University. Be sure to rate and review Cedarville Stories on your favorite podcast provider and share with friends. You can also follow Cedarville University on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Logan Hayes for producing today's episode, Clem Boyd and Sarah Gump for marketing the podcast, and most importantly, you, the listener, for joining us today. Come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.